If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the third chapter of the book of John. John chapter 3. We've had several messages in this chapter previously, and we've met a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and asked for an interview that Jesus is giving him. And he has been telling him some very, very troubling and surprising things. And the last thing that he said was, you must be born again. That is where we ended a couple weeks ago. So let's read starting in verse 7, and we'll read to verses from 7 to 15. This is God's word. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say to thee, We speak that we do know. And testify of what we have seen, and yet receive not our witness. If I told you of earthly things, and you believe not, how should you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You're going to see in this chapter, I think, some very surprising things. I believe this is a, there's even some difficult passages in this selection here, because we are reading this with a fuller understanding of salvation than Nicodemus had. But Nicodemus is being rebuked by Jesus at the same time, which is interesting. That means that Nicodemus should, with what he had, understood more than he did. So I'm going to try to piece this apart uh, together. But I would say, in terms of this passage, this is a passage that is a teaching on the Holy Spirit that this is what Jesus is referring to because we're talking about the wind and we're talking about the spirit and being born of the spirit. It's not being born again, only being born again, but being born differently than you were born and being born of God's spirit. So we're going to try my best to kind of untangle this and kind of lay it back down uh, in a beautiful way that I can really, like, I see this as a passage that would make me want to worship Jesus Christ as as we're shown what God is doing and what God has done uh, through the the coming of Christ. I need to kind of remind you, though, and I think I mentioned this once, the word spirit and the word wind and the word breath is all the same word. And it's not just in Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. And so someone reading this passage in Greek would know that when he's talking about the wind, it's the same word that he's using when he's talking about the Spirit. It's the same. You can just look and there's the word is the same. 
because that word is common to those three concepts. It's also the same in Latin, where we get the word spirit from. Okay? The word in Greek is pneuma, which comes into English pneumonia. All right? That's your breath. That's a problem with your breath. So pneuma is spirit, but it's also wind, and it's also breath. In Latin, spiritus, which is where we get the word spirit, also means wind, and it means breath. But the Hebrew behind it also has the same. All three languages are very interesting. In English, it's not that way. English is a big problem. Some of our problem with the Bible is the fact that we speak English. And English is not a pure language. English is a mutt language. All right? You have to realize that you had England early on in the Middle Ages conquered by the French. And so the French spoke French. So at the court, when the king and all of the people in the government spoke French, and they brought in tons of French words, but the people that lived there spoke a German language. So Anglo-Saxon is German, and those two languages have nothing to do with each other. So they had words for everything, and then all of a sudden you had two words for everything. Now think about that. Now try to spell it. English, poor little American kids have spelling class for 12 years out of their life. Most countries don't have spelling past the first grade because once you learn the way the, the vowels work, everything's spelled properly. But we have every kind of weird spelling because you have this confluence of these languages. So when you have the word Holy Ghost, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that's just the word for, for spirit. That's all it is. The German word for spirit is ghost. The word for spirit in Latin is spiritus, and so you have them both. So when you say the Holy Spirit, I would prefer using the Holy Spirit rather than the Holy Ghost because our concept of ghost is the spirit of a dead person, which kind of confuses people. And you don't mean to confuse people. You don't on purpose try to confuse people just so that we can speak in 16th century language. So the idea of spirit is, a, is the idea that God, God is a spirit, that there is an invisible spirit who is a person that is God. Now, Jesus Christ, as a man, is speaking of God, the Holy Spirit, as doing work on the, in the world, unmistakable work that anybody can see, that everybody can see, not just anybody, but everybody should be able to see the same way that you can see a, a tree bending in the wind, you should be able to see when God is working in the world. It's unmistakable. And if I look back over the people that I've known in my life, I know that I have known godly people. I know that I have. It's unmistakable. And so Jesus is speaking here of something that the teacher of Israel should have been able to know, should have been. If you're going to teach Israel... God's religion, which is the same religion, it's God's religion, then you should be able to know that when God works in the world, you should be able to see it. And that's why I think there's a rebuke here. Um, I pulled out uh, the New English Bible um, because I just think this is cool. This is from Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Now, you know it in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how they, they translate it in this, in this scripture. In the beginning of creation, when God made heaven and earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the abyss, and a mighty wind that swept over the surface of the waters. So you can see this, the Holy Spirit almost has a picture here of the wind. It's the same word, 
But a wind is one that moves, and a wind is one that stirs, and a wind is one that pushes the water, that actually has an effect over the water. The Holy Spirit is not simply observing what was happening. When, when Jesus Christ said, let there be light, there was light, and the breath of God, which is the Holy Spirit, made that light. Do you understand? It's God, the one God. We don't worship multiple gods. We're not Hindus. We have one God and three persons. And tell me if you understand it because you're the only one in the room that would understand that. That breaks my brains to think of that. But Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, which is not a new person in town. The Holy Spirit of God has been working in this world since he hovered like a wind over the waters of creation. And the teacher of Israel should have known that. Okay, so, so the, the Pharisee, okay, this is the Nicodemus Pharisee, I don't believe understood or certainly could have made predictions of what God was going to do because Jesus just said, the wind blows where it listeth, where it wants to, and you can hear the sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from and you can't tell where it's going. All right. Now, would Nicodemus, even if later he was a believer, which is there's lots of support for that Nicodemus trusted Jesus to his salvation. Would Nicodemus at this point been able to say the Holy Spirit of God is working? And within just a few years from now, we have the book of Acts. This is from chapter two of the book of Acts in verse two through four. Listen to this. This is, it makes me excited when I, see, when I see everything tying together. It's so beautiful to me. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire and sat upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Would Nicodemus, sitting there at night speaking to Jesus, have any idea where the wind came from and where the wind was going? I don't think so. I don't think he would have had the slightest clue that God's intent was not to be the God of the Hebrew people, but to be the God of all people in all times and in all places, that there wouldn't be a single tribe or tongue that will not before Christ's throne exalt him as king. That, that we will cry Hosanna and the, co the coats of our lives throw down. The trophies of our life can be what he steps on. And it would be the greatest joy of our hearts. Would it be a great joy for you to have something to give Jesus Christ? Would it be, would it be worth it to spend your entire life making a coat that you could simply throw on the floor Yes, absolutely it would be. It's worth your whole life. It's worth every minute of every day to make a coat so that you can throw it at his feet, so that he can trample on it, so it can be low and he can be high. That is what you say when you say, he's king. He's king. Now, these, these people, these wibbly-wobbly people who on Sunday cried, Hosanna, we're the same crowd that said crucify him on Friday. The same crowd because we're so fickle and we're so malleable and we don't know and we always follow the leader. We're like a bunch of lemmings, most of us, that'll just jump off the cliff like everybody else. 
But when you see that he is king, Jesus took that worship. Okay? So when we read in, in Luke today, he said, he said, I'm not going to tell these children to stop shouting Hosanna, blessed be the, the king. Because if they were to start shouting even for a second, the very rocks in the streets would leap into speech and speak that God is high and that Jesus is exalted king. Because that is what God intends. That's the entire intent of God's heart, is that Jesus would be exalted king of all kings. So Nicodemus is sitting here, and you might want to say, Jesus is too hard on him. Because a lot of people, if you were to read this passage, and Jesus would say, he would say, how can these things be? And then all of a sudden, Jesus jumps on him, because he does. Right? This is ver starting in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say to thee, we speak things that we do know and testify things we have seen and you receive not our witness. And if I've told you of earthly things and you believe not, how should you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? That's a rebuke. That's a strong rebuke. That's not just a, a tiny little smirky rebuke. That is an absolute, you're, you're the teacher? You're driving this bus? Oh my goodness. Okay, because you don't know what you absolutely should know. And when you, when you really stop and think about it, if he's talking about the new birth, and that's all he's talking about, why would Nicodemus be rebuked for not knowing about the new birth? That doesn't make sense. That is something that is new. That was the mystery that was hidden from all times, that, that it's not simply ten commandments that you must observe that will be your life, but these commandments which... The word is, is nigh unto you. It, the word is near, not far away. It's not in heaven that you would say, who's going to go up into heaven? This is from Deuteronomy 30. Who's going to go up into heaven to get it down? Or if it's on the other side of the sea, who's going to cross the ocean and bring it back to us? Moses said, no, the word is nigh unto you, even in your mouth and your tongue and your heart. The word is near. Your, my commandment is life unto you. But the intent of God is not to simply give you commandments that you are going to fail at. Because every one of you have been given commandments and every one of you failed at all of the commandments. That means that God is fair by sending you to your damnation. But that's not God's heart. God has love for the world we're going to see next week on Easter. How's that for timing? We're going to see that God has love for the world in such a way that he gave his son and when you can stop and realize what that means, that the love for God prompts him to not simply give you a command and then damn you for not doing your inability to do it, but instead is working in your heart through the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus wouldn't have known that. That was the mystery of mysteries that was revealed only then, that upon Christ's death, all would be reconciled to God. No, Nicodemus knew things, different things. And we're going to look at that in a minute. I wrote down two passages from Luke. I don't think I put them in the, in the overheads. Um, listen to these two and see if they're different. All right? And see if they're different from what uh, Nicodemus just said. Nicodemus, Nicodemus just said, how can these things be? And Jesus just nailed him. Okay? Immediately smacked him. This is Zacharias. 
the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias said to the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. What happened to Zacharias? The angel spoke to him and said, I'm Gabriel, who stands always before God's face. You are going to have a son, and his name will be John, and he will be the one that I said would come in the power of Elijah. And he was like, well, how do I know that's going to happen? Do you see? There's the skeptical. There's people skeptical everywhere. Okay? Skeptical. And so he was struck mute, if you remember, until the baby was born. Nine months of never being able to talk at all. He couldn't even speak until they said his name is John. That was his first out of his words. This is in the same chapter. This is 34 of that same chapter, Luke 1. Mary said to the angel, How shall this be since seeing I know not a man? Do you see the difference? Mary is not skeptical. Mary was saying, I'm going to be pregnant, but I've never known a man. How? Do you understand that there's a difference? There's a difference in a person's heart. And skepticism is not necessarily damnable. Skepticism is either one where I've already decided what I want, what I believe, and you give me evidence of a resurrection, and I'll just find a way out of it. And if I can't find a way out of that, I'll find a way out of the next thing. Right? And there will be skepticism, and there's nothing you can answer. You're never going to argue someone to the Lord. It'll never happen. I'm sorry, your Facebook post will never get anybody to the Lord. Can I say that strongly? I'm smiling, but I'm saying it very strongly. Your Facebook post will never lead anyone to the Lord. No one is going to say, oh, they're right. I need to stop and change and repent. It's not going to happen. Okay? But you can pray and you can talk and you can give your testimony. That's what you're called to do. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Because he changes to we. Did you notice the we, 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 we? He starts with I and then he goes to we and then he goes back to I. Now, big people, important people, you know, Queen Victoria could say we are not amused. And I guess that means we meaning, I don't know, me. I'm so important that I'm not even singular, I'm plural. It really isn't that way at all. Jesus is not using the royal we. He's not using the editorial we, like we all. He's saying we, everybody in the world, everybody that's a man, everybody that's a human being has seen the wind blow. And everybody that's a human being can see when God has invaded a life. And you are the teacher of Israel. You are the ones who are teaching God's people what God has said. And you've never seen a changed life. You've never seen it. That is unmistakable. He is rebuking him for doing earthly things. Remember what Jesus just said. If I tell you of earthly things and you do not believe me, he's back to the I. I'm telling you of earthly things. You're not believing, uh, believing it. How will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You're asking me because he comes directly to Jesus and he said, we know that you are sent from God. You are a teacher from God because nobody could do what you're doing unless God were doing it. All right, so this, I mean, that is a strong, beautiful statement of faith in some ways, but it's not saving faith. He, only, he simply is looking out of his eyes and saying, nobody can raise the dead unless God's raising the dead because he's the teacher of Israel to know that Satan doesn't have that power. He knows enough to know God is doing these things. That means this person has to be from God. 
Now, the other Pharisees among him have already decided what they all want. They've already decided. They've decided that he must die. And so they're going to make it happen. They're going to insist that it happen. But, but you have Nicodemus, which is skeptical, but God is giving him grace. There's no one, no one, no one that's so good and so nice and so innocent that they could listen to the gospel and simply, re, simply accept it. God must graciously, graciously work in your life. He must give you grace. And Nicodemus didn't have his conversation ended in verse 12. Hallelujah. What grace. What grace that Jesus said, you don't believe earthly things, but you want me to tell you of heavenly things? And then verse 13, Jesus talks about heavenly things. That is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The word of God is talking to two different groups of people here. He's talking to the unbelieving world, and he's talking to the believing world, and we're both getting different messages from the same words, and I just think that is proof that it's God who's working in this world, and it's the Holy Spirit behind this page. You stare into the words of this book, and it is not a Ouija board. This is not a, this is not a magic eight ball. You are looking into the very face of God, and it's invisible, and you can see the wind blowing, but you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going, and you have no idea what God's heart, when he says he loves the world, that, what that means. You have no idea. You're clueless to what that means. Nicodemus is like, uh, I don't know. And Jesus just goes on with him. It is, it is interesting that he says, you are the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things. Okay. I'm going to, to give you 15 verses from Joshua. And I thought twice, I thought three, three times, I thought four times. That's a lot of verses. You need them all. Because this is going to punch you strongly. But look at it. All right, Look at it as you're reading it. Look at it prayerfully as you're reading it. And ask the Holy Spirit, reveal what this says. Okay, Will you do this for me? This is from Joshua 24. This is a famous passage. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You, I'm, every one of you have read it as for me and my house. But you have to start somewhere, and before he gets to that statement, he has to tell Israel something. And he tells them from their history. Believe it or not, Nicodemus would have been able to fill in any word if you'd have stopped. If you'd have stopped on any sentence, Nicodemus could have completed the paragraph. I just want to tell you that. So this is what Joshua says. This is in verse 1 of chapter 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel's Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood. In old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Okay, hold that. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. All right, now let's pause there because he's going he's gonna to move on through history. Abraham was an idol worshiper from not Israel. Abraham, there was not an Israel there because Israel is, is Jacob's children. And Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. So he picked an idol-worshiping uh, foreigner from, from Iran, and he called him, and he took him, 
And he showed himself to him, and he gave him Isaac. All right, so let's continue. I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave Esau to Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers and the chariot and the horsemen into the Red Sea. When they cried unto the Lord, and put dark, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought to the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes have seen what I've done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought against with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent them, and he called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand." And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, and Hittites, and the Girgashites, and Hivites, and Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, and not with thy sword nor your bow. And I have given you a land which you did not, your cities you have built not, and you dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not, do you eat? Now, therefore... Okay, listen. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. And it goes on, as for me and my house. What is his point? The Holy Spirit of God has done all of this. The Holy Spirit of God led someone that wouldn't even have known God so that he became a friend of God. And then in his family, one generation after another generation did nothing but work and work and work and work. And you've seen it. Now look at it and see it with eyes to see. Eyes to see will look and say, we couldn't have done that. We couldn't have done that. We couldn't have done that. He couldn't have done that. They couldn't have done that. God did that. And he's talking to Nicodemus and he's saying, you're the teacher of Israel who knows every one of these words. Do you not realize when you see a a changed life, that is evidence that God is working in this world. Because lives don't change. When you see the losers win and the winners lose, that's evidence that God is working in this world. When what God says comes true, regardless of whether it makes sense to us or not, that is God working in this world. You're the teacher who knows all these words, and you don't know when you see what you see is real. That, that is the rebuke. The rebuke is not that you don't understand the heavenly things. The rebuke is that you don't understand the earthly things and everybody can see a changed life. Everybody can see a changed life. That's why we're here. We are here to change the world because everybody can see a changed life. Then the heavenly things can come. When I know that I've offended a real, the real God and I know who the real God is and I know what I've offended, then my heart breaks. Then I'm tattered. I can't believe what I did. I can't believe how I acted. I can't believe how I continue to act. And suddenly now you can look and you can say, I'm a transformed man. I'm a transformed man. I don't think like I used to think. That is evidence that God is working in this world. I thought a certain way and now I do not think that way. I did things 
and panted after things that are deplorable and disgusting, and I don't anymore, God be praised. That is a tra- that's a transformed life. There is no, nobody can say anything against it. They know that you don't change your spots. The Ethiopian doesn't change his skin. But when, you, when, a, when a worthless son of Belial becomes a son of God and lives like it in victory and in joy, the world can see it. The whole world can see it, especially the blind Nicodemus who should have of all people been able to see it. And that's what he said. I spoke on Friday to a 14-year-old who was basically wanting me to say how bad his family was. His grandmother, he said, called me a Satanist because of the music I listened to. What do you think of that, Mr. B? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know what music you're listening to. And he gave me some, he said, oh, and he gives me the names of some of these bands, which I've never heard of, but the band's names are blasphemous. The names of these bands are not just the Dead Mother's Children or whatever people call, you know, mega, mega whatever rock or whatever it is. This was blasphemous, Christian blasphemy. And that was the name of the group. And I said, really? And you're surprised that your grandmother is calling you a Satanist? And then, because I wouldn't go with him against his grandmother, he said, and my mother, when, when she caught me last week and I was so high, she was so furious with me and said that I'm, a, uh, I, that I'm gonna be a worthless good for nothing if, if, I don't, if I don't continue in the same way that I'm doing. And I said, really? And then I hit him. I hit him as hard as I could. I said, let me ask you a question. Did not 50 people watch you repent of your sins at the Christian meeting about three months ago? Did you not stand up and say, I'll follow Jesus? Did you not stand up in front of all of us and say, I want Christ? And he looked at me, and I'm sure I'm worse than his grandma. I'm worse than his mom. And that's all I said. Did you not repent? You can't live in two worlds. You can't be of two minds. You can't follow two masters. Your life, your changed, transformed life, can speak to everybody. Nicodemus, everybody can see this, and you can't see it. If I tell you of heavenly things, so he's going to tell him of heavenly things. Watch, this is 13. No man hath ascended up to heaven except he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard that when you read it. Oh my goodness, how big of a verse this little verse is. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the wind anymore. He's saying no one has gone up without a mediator to face God's wrath except me. I went up and faced God's wrath for you And no one else has ever done it. And the only one that could go up to face God's wrath is the one who came down from heaven because the Son of Man is in heaven. Now that'll break your theology. What did he just say? This Jesus Christ who's sitting here across the candle from me is in heaven right now? He's God. Yes, he's in heaven right now. He's in heaven right now because... This is what Jesus says to the Pharisees later. This is John 5. 
Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatsoever things he doth, these things also the Son does likewise. Jesus knows the heavenly things because he dwells in heaven. He watches God continuously and he does the things that God does. You want, you can't even understand earthly things? I am the savior of the world. And he's talking to someone who should be prepared for him. Nicodemus was absolutely, he was, he was destroyed. This is not a conversation over, the, over cheese and crackers. Jesus just laid him out. He said, you don't understand things. I'll tell you anyway, you're probably not going to understand this. I came up from heaven to take God's wrath for you, and the only way I could do it is because I came down from heaven, because I am in heaven. Now, you don't understand when you even look at a, a person and they were one way and now they're another way because God's working in their life, you're blind to that, and you want to understand the big stuff, you want to play in the PhD, you need to go to kindergarten. That's what Jesus was saying in a very nice Jesus way. I told you about Deuteronomy. The word is not... The word is near to you. It's not far away. It's on your tongue and in your heart. And so I wrote down this. This is from Romans 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? He said, I am the mediator. I'm the one that will stand be between heaven and earth. And then he hits him, hits him, hits him. This is the teacher of Israel who knows every Bible story. He hits him with a strong one. Between heaven and earth, this is 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Numbers 24 is the context. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to encompass the land of Edom and the souls of the people, which were much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us out of this Egypt to die in the wilderness? Is there no bread, neither there's no water, and our soul loatheth this light bread? And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, and much of the people died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take the serpents from us. And Moses prayed to the people, and the Lord spoke unto Moses Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that's bitten, when, the fiery, uh, uh, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, not only am I the one who will mediate between God and man, because I was the one that went, that went up to heaven and bare God's wrath that was towards you, because I'm the one who came down from heaven, the same one who is in heaven, but just the same way that Moses lifted that 
that symbol of sin, the symbol of death. It was the symbol of what was destroying them, which was the symbol of judgment. God sent the snakes. God sent judgment on his people. And that he looked at the he looked at those people and they were dying by the droves. And they, as they appealed to Moses, oh, we've sinned against God, pray for us. God didn't speak to the people. He told Moses, make a bronze, which is brass, is judgment, snake. Exactly the same thing that was the, the symbol of their judgment. The same thing that they were dying of. And you lift it between heaven and earth. And if they look upon that serpent, they'll live. And you have to remember, there are two million people in that valley. Lift up that stick, Moses, and if anybody gazes upon that stick, they'll be saved. How many, how, what part of this town would fill two million people? How far up the hollers would it go? And, and here's Moses with the stick. And anybody that cast their blind eyes in the direction of that stick were saved. That the snake bite, the fire, the bit, the bitter bite, the death blow, would have been taken from them. Everyone that gazed upon it, simply looking upon the, the symbol of their judgment, that it was God's answer to their prayer. Save us. Save us. Hosanna. I don't know if you know that Hosanna, when you cry Hosanna, is not hallelujah. Hosanna is save us, Savior. That's what, it's, that's what you're crying. Save us, Savior. To look upon that snake that even if you can't see it, even if it's in the next valley, look upon it. Look with your blind eyes wherever they point you. Point to Jesus and you say, look upon him. And as he is lifted up, and who is your punishment, your fire will go away and your poison will be leached out and you will not suffer as you ought to. You will not die because I have put the pain upon him. He bore the wrath. For you, just as Moses lifted up the, the, the this is Jesus Christ saying this. These are red letters in your Bible. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Must be lifted up. Must be lifted up. That anyone that would gaze upon him in faith shall be saved. Shall be saved. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Easter, 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 Easter. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is thy sting? That's the fire. That's the fire in the serpent. That bite. Where is your sting, oh, you death? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The law makes sin known, and as soon as you know your sin, it kills you. The law shows you your sin, and when you know your sin, then it kills you. But Jesus is saying this, and he says this because sin was killed by the death of Christ. That's, this is where we're going. This is a week of celebration. Death was destroyed by the death of Christ. The death of death. The death of death in the death of Christ. Oh my goodness. This is 2 Corinthians 5. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God 
in him. And then he absolutely, absolutely gives him a breath. The Holy Spirit breathes upon Nicodemus. And this is what the Holy Spirit says. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Should not perish. Should is from shall with a condition. Shall is shall with no condition. Should is shall with a condition, and that condition is if you believe in him. That if you gaze upon that, the symbol of your sting, that Jesus Christ on the cross bearing your sin, not your bearing your sin, but he bearing your sin, and you look upon that with faith that God intended that for your rescue, you will be saved. Hallelujah. Let's pray. My God, what do we say? What do we say but thank you? We don't even know how to express our gratitude and our reverence for you, our trembling fear in your presence. You are great God. You are not a man. But the man Jesus Christ, our Savior, is God. And he has brought down salvation to us. And with all the faith that you have given us, we put our entire faith upon him that you will be kind to us for Jesus' sake and that you will make much of your church and that you will grow us in love and in power and in reverence and in holiness and in number. We beg that in the, in the name of our Savior and in the power of the Holy Spirit that has breathed on our dead hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.